You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Andrew Child, and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast, a companion piece to the Rutledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Chapter 27, Sweeney Todd, and with us today is author of that chapter, Alison Marooney. Alison Marooney is a stage director and choreographer, currently pursuing an MFA in directing at the Pennsylvania State University. She has directed most frequently at the College Light Opera Company in Massachusetts and has served as a choreographer at Priscilla Beach Theater and for Penn State Center Stage. She has also been on stage regionally and with national tours of American Idiot and Nice Work If You Can Get It. Allison, I'm so excited we get to talk today. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So for those who haven't read the book yet out there, could you sort of give us the summary? Why do we care about this freaky, weird musical? Uh, This freaky, weird musical, you know, it's so funny because I feel that people of my generation, right? Like I'm, I'm 31. I grew up with this musical. I grew up a theater kid in high school obsessed with like the recording of Angela Lansbury. Like I never thought of it as this odd, weird thing, Mm -hmm. but clearly when it was first uh, being written and being produced, people thought it was crazy and weird. Um, And that's, that's sort of what the chapter focuses on is this idea of um, what was this show that combined so many different genres and styles and themes and put it all like in one space. And um, what does that look like? And what did that do for the future of musical theater after Sweeney Todd was written? And I think what was really cool to discover is that while maybe at the time people were, let's say, confused and mm-hmm. um, a little bit um, curious about what that show was, um, after Sweeney Todd, now we see genre mixing all the time on stage. And it's Mm. become sort of more of a normal thing for us to see, which I think is really exciting. And it's cool to have sort of identified Sweeney Todd as like the thing that started it and the thing that stays in our culture as sort of the, the best of the best of that idea. So what are some of the genres that you would say are kind of slopping together to make this musical? Yeah, I mean, so much, but um, so it's originated the, it's an adaptation, right? Of um, a play that was a melodrama that was a Penny Dreadful, like way back in the early 1800s. And uh, Penny Dreadful is like, tabloid almost mm-hmm. if, if you were to contemporize that word so um it has this fantastic journey of coming from this like lowest of low brow literally a tabloid magazine that cost a penny for people to buy and it was a serial mm-hmm. um magazine and they would they would eat it up 
eat it up like a, you know, like a Kim Kardashian tabloid now. Um, and so it has this sort of like gory only in it for the shock value kind of history to it. Um, but then you listen to Stephen Sondheim's score and you're like, this is so much more, I hate to use the word sophisticated, but I feel mm-hmm. like that's a way to describe it is like, it's, it's a symphony almost, right? That score. And so to put those two things together, just from a stylistic standpoint, mm-hmm. is fascinating to dig into. Um, and then you add on top of that, Hal Prince, who directed the original production, you add his idea and he, you know, he's sort of the king of the concept musical, mm-hmm. um, the, the king of wanting to make social and political commentary inside of a musical. So then you add that layer onto it and it's like this mishmash of gore, horror, opera, symphonic, social commentary, but then it's also really freaking funny. Right. At moments too. Right. Like it has this black comedy and this wit um, that Stephen Sondheim and the book writer Hugh Wheeler also really enjoyed playing with. So it, it's it's just like has sort of something for everyone, even though I don't know that that's <laughs> the uh, the title that anyone would originally like subtitle that with. Yeah, probably not the tagline. Yeah, that we're going with Sweeney Todd, something for everyone. Yeah. Um do you think, because I know there was a lot of talk about this uh, with the passing of Stephen Sondheim and mm-hmm. so many people at so many things they were sort of lauding and applauding him for. But one of the things we saw again and again was people sort of testifying that these filmed versions of the original Broadway runs mm-hmm. of shows like Into the Woods or in this case of Angela Lansbury and George Hearn doing Sweeney Todd, that that was such an inspiration for people and such an in to theater for people who couldn't access it otherwise. Do you think that that filmed version is a good introduction to the show? Oh, I think so. I mean, I'm biased. That was my introduction to the show. Okay. Um, And, you know, there's something, I guess, again, like people who are maybe near my age, grew up knowing Angela Lansbury as Beauty and the Beast, like mm-hmm. <laughs> as the teapot. And so that was sort of a a friendly way to look at it as like a freshman in high school. Um, and it didn't, but I, I think it is, it, it, it goes with as well as Into the Woods and Sunday in the Park with George. It's so iconic for people who learn to love theater at a young age because it's so accessible. And I think even though this story definitely has some dark uh, themes in it, having it just at your fingertips can be life-changing. And there are kids out there who their favorite part of every Disney movie is the villain, you know? And I'm not saying go out and be Sweeney Todd, but what I am saying is like, there's meat there, there's interest Mm. there um, that other musicals don't have. And so to put that on film and show it to people is kind of cool, I think. Oh, absolutely. Would you say if there are young people listening who don't really know Sweeney Todd, would that be how you would recommend they familiarize themselves or would there be a recording that you like or a different in? I think that's the in I would, I would suggest is the film. And it really is because of the comedic work that Angela Lansbury is doing Mm. in that performance. Um, She is so quick and so witty and Mm -hmm. it makes it friendlier. 
Um, if you're a music buff and you're a young person, like turn all the lights off and close and close your eyes and shut the doors and like just listen to that original Broadway cast recording. Like mm. the the score in and of itself is is a whole other journey. I was listening to it as like a pregame for this <laughs> interview and was just reminded like it is earth shatteringly emotional and laugh out loud funny. Um, but I do think that the, the, the filmed version of the tour is the most accessible way to learn the show. Mm. It's, it's very interesting in a later episode. I talk with, uh, Susan Shulman who directed Mm. the first revival, um, Mm -hmm. with, Stephen Sondheim's blessing and one of the things that she said he requested of the revival was cut the organ intro he never liked it Mm -hmm. Um, which is so interesting because I love it I think it's fabulous to do the organ and then hit that shrill factory whistle but you know I'm not Stephen Sondheim so (laughs) yeah I mean it's so I love that about about Stephen Sondheim I'm I'm preparing a production of assassins right now and so I'm doing a lot of research and um he was so open to reimagining and reinterpreting um it's art it's a living breathing thing and living breathing new people are going to come into it and mm. to not allow their humanity room to explore feels not as cool <laughs> so mm. i love i love that about sondheim and- i'm with you i like the i like the organ he also hated the whistle like and so it's just but but I remember watching that movie for the first time and being like <gasps> the whistle like and I like I told my parents about it like and I so it is it's just you know something something for everyone sort of and Sweeney Todd is one of his shows that has sort of it's gotten attention it's gotten lots of retreatments whether it's Broadway revivals which it's had multiple of um, including sort of a radical reimagining with. Um, Patty Lapone and mm-hmm. uh, Michael Severus and a couple other big names in there. Did you have thoughts on sort of these darker, more gloomy productions of Sweeney Todd, especially where if you like the comedy of Angela Lansbury, that's something that it seems like some of these later productions and tours try to come mm. away from. Mm. I love that question. I obviously haven't seen every production, but I, I did actually see the Patty Lapone one. Oh, um, cool. I, was high, I was like later in high school. So I had like learned the show and then I went and saw that revival. Cool. I was terrified of Michael Sofers. Like he was so scary in that show. Um, and may or may not have been because um, a phone did go off right before a little priest. And we know Patty Lapone um is famous for for calling that out and making that a thing so and it sure was um so that may have fully like made my interpretation of that version it became immersive yeah you feared for your own life yeah I literally was like I'm someone is going to come get me it's not my phone but what if it is Mm -hmm. you know like they were so it was just wild um but it is dark and I do I do remember falling in love with, with the little priests, the worst pies in London. Like those are the songs that I remember fondly. And I think it's also just because of the wit. Um, Mm. Like it's, it's obviously it's funny, but it's, it's just, it's so fast. And I just, I love that kind of writing. Like I 
watch and rewatch every Aaron Sorkin entity of all time <laughs> because of that same kind of like pace. Okay. And I love that about Stephen Sondheim's lyrics. And I know that Hugh Wheeler had a bit with some of the, um, the book writing with that. Um, and that also comes a little bit from, I read that he was inspired by um, like the Gilbert and Sullivan okay. Potter songs mm. and sort of the wordplay that, that, that you see in, you know, HMS Pinafore and what have mm. you. Um, and you can draw a pretty straight line between, oh, between easily. some of those I mean, songs. Worst Pies in London easily is, can be quantified sort of as a Potter song. Uh, and then, like you're saying, all the witty punchlines in A Little Priest. But I even think, you know, something like going back to Gilbert and Sullivan. But my favorite moment in the show is um, Poor Thing. I love that song. And I love mm. that she just sort of has a full narrative that she's spinning. You know, we don't come back really to a chorus. We just we keep going and she's spitting out this story. Mm. I think you also something about listening to the Patti Lapone revival with the pared down orchestrations, which I know anyone I know who loves music and is like a diehard Sondheim mm -hmm. fan is like, Oh no, it was, it was crap. Don't, don't, you know, limit the image. <laughs> I mean, for those who don't know in that revival, the actors were playing the music themselves. So that's why it's pared down. But I think it does call attention to, the lyrics so much more when they're not backed by a full orchestra which i like with sweeney todd exactly what you're talking about this sort of the wit of it do you have thoughts on the tim burton movie would you recommend viewing that for people who mm. don't know sweeney todd you know the tim burton movie is great i definitely saw it when it came out but that was mostly you know i i'm a musical theater person i must go see this movie <laughs> um you know and it's it but it's its own thing particularly because something I have come to love as I have grown into a director and choreographer is I love through composed musicals and I love some uh well I'll just stop there through composed musicals and yep. the movie doesn't have that the movie mm. relies a lot more and I think that's fine for the film medium I don't have a problem with it it's an adaptation, just like the musical was an adaptation of the play. Mm. So I think it's well done. It's Tim Burton. It's it has its own tone. Um, but I miss the suspense that that through composed nature gives it. And mm. and Sondheim talks a lot about that. He literally says in a, in an interview, "I really wanted to like write a horror movie, but for the stage, mm. because he loved." films when he was younger specifically melodramas and um horror films because of the score okay. not necessarily because of the story but because he he said and i think I, I think i quote this in the chapter but he says something to the effect of you know i really the reason i love these movies is because the music plays as important of a role as any of the actors do in the storytelling and so mm -hmm. he sort of falls in love with that idea and wants to wants to put it on the stage and and Hugh Wheeler even said like I wrote this book but like do whatever you want <laughs> like and make it music do whatever you want they are probably would be so happy to know that you are sitting here saying you know I like the movie adaptation but it lost some of the suspense you know because how hard is it to build suspense which we're so used to with you know 
Alfred Hitchcock's techniques of movies and jumping back and forth between two things. How do you do that with music? How do you do that with a score? And I think you're exactly right. All the attend the tale of Sweeney Todd's and all those little ballads that the ensemble sings throughout. They're unsettling. They're upsetting. They put us on edge and they get us ready for something new that's coming. I'm interested also because in Tim Burton's original screenplay, he wanted those um, sort of for the reasons you're saying he wanted to have ghosts sort of singing the song. So I, I am curious and I don't know why he he lost that battle. Maybe they didn't want to put yeah. that in the movie. I don't know. Because I mean, I didn't know that. That's so interesting. Because I feel like. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, he clearly he his significant other plays Mrs. Lovett or at the time and she can't even sing. So I feel like. He was getting whatever he wants. <laughs> I feel like he most often probably does. Yeah. But that is that would be such an interesting thing to find out. Um, because obviously, I'm not sure exactly how that came to be in the stage musical. But those chorus numbers are so iconic mm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I feel like they scream Hell Prince more than they oh, scream Sondheim. Obviously, Sondheim wrote them in whatever, uh-huh. but but Hell Prince was so like this is a social commentary. Um, this is about the oppressed versus the oppressors, and and so I want this Greek chorus always present and always there. Um, and you hear that in the score with all of those attend the tale of Sweeney Todd, and or, um, and I can just picture the ensemble just you know scattered around that stage and 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 doing that job I don't know how that translates to film um Mm. to have sort of that Greek chorus and not and have that not feel strained you'd have to do almost like a Ferris Bueller moment right and I don't maybe that doesn't fit in Mm -hmm. the style of the horror film I'm not sure I'm I'm just sort of guessing at at this point no no idea (laughs) Yeah. How would you, you know, this is a show that has been revived, that has had its moments. If you were tasked with directing this show tomorrow, what's square one for you? What's the first step? Where is your mind at? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, it honestly, my like my first big question would probably be like, can we can we achieve the full or near full orchestration okay because and i know that's a really practical and maybe boring question but like it affects how big that show can be Mm. um and because it was written so symphonically i think it it has the potential to contain this almost like metropolitan opera sized production Mm if you can afford that you know if you can have those things if you can't I think that has to change how it's staged how it's cast how it's designed so for me that that might be my first question um and then my second question might be um you know how how much how much is this a political social story of you know, someone who has been wronged and someone who, who is seeking vengeance and how much of it is a love story and what is the sort of, how do we tip the scales 
because there's love in, in a lot of directions and a lot of it's very tremendously misguided misguided and all of that but there mm-hmm. is a lot of love in mm. the story so how do you sort of balance both of those realities mm. i'm curious about you know the idea of a metropolitan opera production <laughs> of sweeney todd just because you know i feel like whenever the met brings in a theater director to do a show there you know, we see it announced, we see it open, and then we immediately see the bad reviews come pouring in about, you know, it wasn't big enough for the Met. It didn't hit the back walls just because the Met is bigger than anywhere else, you know, other than Radio Mm -hmm. City Music Hall, you know, you're not doing musical theater anywhere that large. I'm curious, and you don't have to have any more ideas. I know what you were getting at, but it just spawns questions in my head. Like could a literal like photorealistic version of Sweeney Todd with like a trillion dollar budget, would that be successful on the Met stage or does Sweeney Todd need sort of the non-literal staging that has kind of always accompanied it? Mm Mm-hmm. I love that question. I definitely don't have an answer, but it's exciting. Um, you know, and it just, it sort of brings me back to if, if you're looking at that source material and you're thinking about, you know, not the Penny Dreadful, but the melodrama that it became mm-hmm. before it was a, a, a traditional real play, mm-hmm. you know, it was a melodrama. And, and that was, that is like, the grandest, most over-the-top performance that you can possibly imagine. And it's something that I don't think a, an audience today would even accept, I think. Um, but I think people point at opera sometimes and say it's melodrama. So like, I do mm-hmm. feel that this show has the capacity to live in that large space. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a designer somewhere who knows, who, <laughs> who would know <laughs> who, what to do. Who has the answer, who, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba let's talk about some of the character arcs here that are sort of melodramatic sort of comedia almost you know with the two lovers that is Mm -hmm. some heightened stuff going on joanna goes from like the highest highs to the lowest lows do you have thoughts on what it is like to take on one of those roles antony or joanna (gasps) That's so funny. As I was doing my pregame listen <laughs> on the subway today, I was thinking about that because I used to be an actor and like Joanna is where I would slide in, you know, like okay. that's, you know, where I would maybe go. Good to know. And so, and I started to think about that. I was like, what this song, like actually listening to Greenfinch and Linnabird, it's so poetic and mm-hmm. so lyrical and non-literal. I mean, it's a, it's a thinly veiled metaphor, but it's, right. you know, um, and I do look at that relationship and it's like, that is, that has to be left over from, from the melodrama. It's so archetypal. 
mm-hmm. having this like naive sailor and this naive woman who who knows nothing. It's not her fault that she doesn't know anything, but um, she's too pretty to know anything. You she's know, too- <laughs> she's too blonde. She's too pale. Well, she's too fair. That's what all the men keep telling us is that she's very pretty. Um, but I think like those those roles are a puzzle. I think that would be hard. I feel like and I'm just guessing at this point, but I feel like as a director, I would, I would go in and be like, okay, sweet Todd, dark, complex villain, but not, but he's the hero, but he's also uh-huh. murdering people. And this is the challenge. This is the challenge. And then I feel like you get to those scenes and you're like, oh, this is secretly harder. This mm. is secretly, um, I feel like you need to dig in a little deeper and do a little bit more creating I would imagine with those actors like as a collaboration a collaboration in the rehearsal room with your actor playing Joanna with your actor playing Anthony and and figure out like how to play that with some truth because it has you have to root for them you have to kind of an interesting question that comes to mind but sort of looking at what you just said, sort of going back to your analysis about like how Prince's additions to this show, that it is this social commentary. Do you think in this imagined production of Sweeney Todd that you're getting ready to direct, do you think is the social commentary still relevant, still necessary, still something like still enough of a driving force to produce this show? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of shows out there that are trying to do that Mm -hmm. right now. I think people are interested in shows that are saying something specific about the experience of us now. Um, I don't, this particular commentary it lives in a certain time, right? It lives mm-hmm. in the industrial revolution sort of moment in history. Um, so I feel like it, the, the lines might be a little bit difficult to connect, but there's always an oppressor. There's always an oppressed people. I mean, you would not, I would not draw a deliberate line between Sweeney Todd and the desire for justice and the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. um, that's probably not possible in that text. Mm-hmm. But the idea is there. Mm. Do you think in when a in a, do you think when the show premiered or was being workshopped, do you think that audiences were connecting more to this social commentary or do you think it was just like good job Hal Prince you got it in there but we like the spooky <laughs> parts we like the blood we, we think Angela Lansbury is hilarious you know it's hard to say I think the I mean the critics at the time mostly were like the score is great the design is amazing to look at it's oh. really just a lot of really magnificently large ideas all in one place but I don't really know what it trying to say so I don't know that at the time they real people got it as a on a on the whole okay um some certainly did there were there but there were even critics who who were like you're tra- like this they were upset about trying to make this statement using this violence and this gore 
Um, mm. People thought that that was not, some people thought that this was not the way to address this problem because of, because the hero is a murderer, mm. a mass murderer. And so I, I do think that that was a challenge at the time. Um, now we've seen a lot more anti-heroes okay. in our, in the, in the pop culture. Um, we you like, I think of Deadpool, like, and he's, you know, he's a good guy, but right. Um, that that's a dark story and he does some bad things. And, and I think we're more used to that idea now. Mm. Um, well, I think we make movies like the Joker, right. he's not a hero, but we, we delve into the psychology of that. I think in this book, there's a chapter that sort of advocates pal Joey as an early predecessor to that, but mm. it's, it even seems trite and silly to compare, you know, womanizer, cheater, pal Joey to murderer slash cannibal Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely, I totally hear your point. And I don't know, I think it just calls to mind every, you know, documentary, every interview about Sweeney Todd. It's like, oh yeah, they were having this social commentary. And I think that question is still going to sit with me that I hadn't really thought about until we were talking about it today. Like, does that social commentary land or I might be closer to some of the critics you were talking about saying like, I don't know. It's more, we get what you're going for, but you did a horror movie, which I think mm. is totally fine. Um, and is, I think that's a worthwhile artistic endeavor in and of itself. Cause I don't know that we since then, and correct me if I'm wrong, have come closer to having a, horror movie in musical theater uh, the only one that comes to my mind is carrie which is far <laughs> less successful which is um, yeah kind of campy and kind of campy yeah that and, has and, and that has its own space absolutely yeah no no like shade towards carrie at all um but it's it's not doing the same thing that sweeney todd did because mm -hmm. what Sweeney Todd does that I don't know that Carrie does, um, and like Little Shop of Horrors also has, <laughs> some, you know, a similar can't kind be. of- Can't be, yeah, yeah. Can't be. But Sweeney Todd, like, yes, we've talked a lot about the comedy it, it, during our chat, but I think, but you look at something like Epiphany, or you look at the quartet, um, and it's, it's deeply moving and psychological mm -hmm. and complex. Um, and that's something that I think Carrie and Little Shop don't do, certainly not to the extreme that Sweeney Todd does. Mm. And I, I think that's what people were maybe reacting to is, I don't know if I should be feeling for this mass murder or cannibal, but I am. Um, I mean, and I think that's just kind of logical. the point. <laughs> right? It just makes sense. <laughs> No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Do you think that that sort of these philosophical musings, the giving the villain these moments, even if you don't agree with everything he says in Epiphany, he, points were made, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that comes from Stephen Sondheim? I think it, I mean, speculation, of course. Mm -hmm. I think that it likely comes from a combination of things. I mean, Stephen Sondheim himself said, you know, I was out here trying to make a little horror musical and and 
you know, how Prince comes in and he affected the way that, because they developed it together. So mm-hmm. even sometimes a collaborator was mm-hmm. a collaborator at his core. And he says that on many occasions, like he needs a collaborator to do his work um, the way that he wants to do it. And I think he, I'm sure he was influenced by Hal Prince's desire to really dig into, you know, vengeance and Sweeney Todd's particular vengeance against the particular system that put him where he is. So I don't know the, the nitty gritty details of how that song came to be, but I have to imagine that it, it was sort of a, a collaboration between the two of them. Mm. Um, and part of what, what Christopher Bond, who wrote the play that Stephen Sondheim saw, mm-hmm. um, did is he took that melodrama from the 1800s and he adapted it. And he's the one that sort of started to put in the backstory okay. that we now know as, oh, you know, his wife, you know, was molested and, and, right. and all of this, um, all of that backstory was never a part of the melodrama that this story originates from um and so so i feel like it it probably came from a lot of different places um and that's what makes this musical so compelling to come back to it and back to it and back to it is because i feel like there's always more to discover in that idea you know Mm. what put what put that person in this place to do this thing because it's not that long into the, well, it takes almost to the end of act one, right. For that uh-huh. song to occur. But by then you're on board. Dang it. Right. Like you're on board with it and you might not like yourself for that, but you're, you're rooting for this guy. Or at least I, if I were directing it, that's, that would be my hope. Right. Right. So you, if you don't mind my asking about this, you're preparing to direct assassins, um, yeah. which is, you know, when we talk about maybe questionable heroes, like assassins, you have an ensemble of questionable heroes here. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's a Sondheim show. And it's a little weird. It's a little off kilter. um, But there's certainly some social commentary there. Would you mind just sort of, you, you don't have to show your full hand here, but what's going through your head as you prepare to mount a production of that in 2022 yeah um I will be fully honest and say that I'm still wrestling with that okay um it's and and I I spent a lot of time before I agreed to do it I spent a lot of time sitting with that question and you know if if you've ever read the finishing the hat or look, I made a hat. I forget which one it's in now, but it's in one of those books and you read sort of sometimes notion as he calls it for that show. And it's, he says very specifically that the idea is sort of just like what made these people do what they do or do Mm -hmm. what they did. Um, Which is a similar question that we were just discussing, right? With me. And I personally, and I really want to be clear. I'm speaking from the eye here. Like I, in this moment, Mm -hmm. I don't care why they did what they did. (laughs) Um, Mm. That's not an interesting question to me for this, for assassins, right? Because it's particular to this country. It's particular to the kind of violence that we see in this country. Mm. Um, And I, when I read it for the first time after I was offered it, I could not stop thinking of January 6th. 
I couldn't mm-hmm. stop thinking about it. And it, that made me really pause and be like, is this, and I don't think the musical is trying to equate. <laughs> I mean, obviously January 6th hadn't happened, um, but right. do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. like, I don't right. think the musical is out to, to explore something that's unique and interesting. And I, I would never say cancel it. I would never say don't do the production, but I'm not interested in the same question that Sondheim was interested in because right. of because of the violence that we see on a regular mm. basis in this country. Um, people who, well, I won't go into it anymore. I think I've said enough, but but what is what what became my hook is sort of it's it wasn't in the original production or workshop, but now it's fairly common to, you know, the balladeer is this, you know, I'll call it the voice of reason or um, the hopeful character, right? The voice of something um, for sure. <laughs> the voice of something. Yeah. Um, I would lean more towards naive than maybe uh-huh. reason, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's hope in that character and, mm. and trying to make sense of it all. And, and in, you know, now, most of the time when you see that production, you see that character transform into Lee Harvey Oswald at the end. So it's played by the Mm -hmm. same actor. Um, And that was really interesting for me because the script I was reading didn't have that in it, you know, but I knew that that was, uh, you know, sort of a practice of the production now. And as I started to interrogate that choice, I started to think about like, all of the people who I know or people I know who know people who have gotten sucked in by these all of this terrible online like QAnon all of these Mm -hmm. sources of this of idiotic incorrect fully false stuff and people are are acting on it like it's gospel and it's very scary um but the transformation of the balladeer into lee harvey oswald to me sort of tells that story Mm. and the danger of of how like seducing those kinds of ideas can be and so that's that's where i'm sitting with it now and i don't know that i've figured it out but i think that is why i have decided like yes this is a worthy interrogation for today well i think that that's so exciting because i also think that part of that reveal that that character becomes lee harvey oswald it a little bit relies on sort of for a while with assassins i i haven't done the math on this but i'd assume the majority of your audience would have a recollection of the day that jfk was shot and I, yep. again, haven't done the math on it, but I'm assuming wherever you're presenting it, um, that's not a guarantee that the majority of the audience will have that recollection anymore. Either mm-hmm. they would have been very young, they wouldn't have been born yet. And so I think to start thinking about what we're going to come into the room with, you know, whether it's the mm-hmm. January 6th or someone from that show was just released from prison, I think. Oh, time that oh. we're recording, like a couple weeks you know, ago. You might be right. Yeah. I think one of the, I don't want to say because I don't know which one, but I was like, I remember seeing stuff that it's, oh, that's a character in Assassins. No, he's a real person. Um, 
but that is it's very interesting in the um the interview about beauty and the beast i talk with marcia milgram dodge who just closed beauty and the beast at the only theater in washington mm -hmm. dc yeah and one of the things she talks about is it the production got postponed because of covid they needed to redesign the beast's horns because you're presenting this to children in washington dc and that horned oh man in the capital yes. that it was when she revisited the costume design it was all she could imagine and it was going to be this scary for all the wrong reasons to a young audience and i just you know i think it's exactly that sort of thinking that you seem to be engaging with as well for assassins like what happens when we put this on stage now mm -hmm. <laughs> totally that's really interesting totally changing the subject here but you mentioned you like the sung through shows do you have other Sondheim shows that you are itching to work on or even that you would say hey if you love musical theater you love Sweeney Todd check this one out oh gosh you know I feel like with Sondheim stuff I love every one of them for different reasons um which says a lot about who he was as an artist um, and what he was willing to experiment with and risk. Um, mm. Like for this, it's, you know, it's fully the symphonic score for me that I am in love with and, and the, the, the patter songs and the wit <laughs> that is in that, um, in that show. But then you look at something as beautiful as like, um, I just assisted on, um, a little night music oh, I know, I'm jealous. Um, a few years ago and and I was not as familiar with that one at the time but um the it was just so differently beautiful and light um mm. even though I mean obviously these characters are experiencing pain but no one no one dies you know what I mean it, it's right it's a right. lighter more bubbly um musical and it's it's funny it, oh, in yeah. the way that you know, some, a, a George Bernard Shaw or Oscar Wilde rather is a better example. Like an Oscar Wilde thing is funny. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's very cool. And then like, I have a secret love for passion, which oh, is maybe not popular, but I, um, <laughs> it's smaller to produce like, and I, uh -huh. you know, as a young director, I'm always looking for smaller shows to do. And I, I sort of, it has its, challenges for sure mm -hmm. um but I I fell in love with that sort of the that triangle of relationship and um the idea of diving into a woman like that in the space that she is in the time that she is and mm. I don't know I just think that's it's worthy of exploration um would you say and then I you... mean I've always have been a sucker for Into the Woods because, okay. but that's okay. just yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say before you said that are you drawn to the darker stuff because you know you weren't saying a funny thing happened on the way to the forum Into the Woods but no if um do you have any thoughts about Into the Woods or you just like it I just like it I mean I as in, in middle school I did the junior version of a million times you know oh, it's just one of those yeah. things and my I have a much younger sister who also fell in love with musical theater because of Into the Woods, okay. um, watching that PBS thing, mm -hmm. uh, the recording of that and 
seeing me do it and now she has done done it and so I think there's more of a like a deeper nostalgia for me um as a performer with Into the Woods and with every other Sondheim show I feel like I live more in the directorial space um and that's just those are two very different sides of my heart so it's just like different um it's funny that you accuse me of liking darker (laughs) things because I think some of my advisors would agree with you yeah it's (laughs) it's something I think I have to finally admit to you did write the chapter on Sweeney Todd I think you have to yeah a little bit come around on that one yeah it wasn't the chapter on Annie but you know it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) well amazing well thank you so much for chatting with me today Andrew it's been such a pleasure And thank you listeners for joining us. Please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 Key Stage Musicals by visiting routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. If you want to learn more about Sweeney Todd, please also review the links in the below description. I'm Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast. His skin was pale and his eye was odd. He shaved the faces of gentlemen who never thereafter were heard of again. He trod a path that few have trod. Did Sweeney Todd? A demon barber of Fleet Street. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.